Good morning. It's good to see everyone out this morning. It's been a joy to worship with you and to praise God together this morning. I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open to the pages of Genesis. We're going to move just a couple of chapters ahead of where we were just a moment ago in Genesis 18 to Genesis chapter 21. And that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time together this morning. Over the past couple of months, in the interim between the theme that the elders had given us for the first trimester of the year and the theme that they will share with us for the third trimester of the year, Jeremy and I have done a little bit of a character study uh, on Abraham. And we have spent some time from the pulpit talking about him as well as on our podcast. There's actually uh, eight episodes that are available there talking about Abraham, his life, and everything that happens Uh, during his time period. But just in a way of recap, in the month of May, there was a lesson talking about Abraham and how he walked by faith. We talked about how Abraham was called by God to leave his homeland, and God led him to where he wanted him to be. In June, we talked about the promises that God had made to Abraham, those great promises from Genesis chapter 12, and how they impacted not only Abraham, but all generations that were to come. Today we're going to talk about the birth of Isaac, the son of promise, the son that God promised to Abraham and Sarah, and some of the lessons that we can learn from his birth and everything that surrounded that. And then one more coming in August will be on the sacrifice of Isaac and some lessons that we can learn from those events. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you, if you're not already there, to turn to Genesis chapter 21. We're going to read the story of Isaac's birth together, and then we're going to talk about some of the lessons and applications that I think we are to make from this amazing story that's shared with us in Genesis 21. And the Lord visited Sarah, and he said, And did the Lord, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time set of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. You know, it's kind of comical how many times Abraham and Sarah are called old in these just few short passages that we read. But there's clearly an emphasis that's being placed on that by God. In fact, to put that into context... If you go back to Genesis 12, when these promises were first made to Abraham, even at that point, Abraham was already 75 years old. He was already an old man. But the fulfillment of this particular promise, Isaac, his son, the son that God was going to give to him, he made Abraham and Sarah already old, wait, 25 years before Isaac was born to them. Now, we're told a little bit about what happened in that 25-year time period. There were some good decisions made. There were some bad decisions made. 
Their faith was tested in those 25 years. But in the end, God fulfilled the promise that he had made to them. The promise that, as we've read about, made Sarah laugh when she heard it. Thinking about someone her age giving birth to a son. And I'm sure, as she even alludes to a little bit here in the passage that we read in chapter 21, it raised the eyebrows of many others around them who heard about the promise that God had made to them to bring them a son. But it's such a wonderful story. And one of the first lessons that jumps off the page to me as I think about what's happening here and what has happened over the past 25 years of Abraham's and Sarah's lives, God has taught them the importance of patience. But I'm here to tell you, learning patience is a painful process. You can just look to the lives of Abraham and Sarah to prove that point out. God was teaching them patience. Are you willing to wait on me? Are you willing to wait for this promise to be fulfilled? Well, and the answer for Abraham and Sarah at one time was no. <laughs> they weren't. They, they didn't have the patience that God wanted them to have. They hadn't learned that valuable lesson. That's why Abraham had a child with Hagar, Ishmael. Because they had not yet learned the importance of patience and learned the importance of waiting on God. But this is not just a trait and a characteristic that Abraham and Sarah are called to learn. It is one that you and I have to learn as followers of God today. And it is just as painful to learn that lesson today as it was for Abraham and Sarah. Because there is only one way to learn patience, and that is to wait. And our culture and our society hates waiting. We will do almost anything in our power to avoid waiting. Whether it's at the grocery store, what's everybody doing when they get their stuff and they go to the checkout line? You're immediately looking. Is there a shorter line that I can get into so I don't have to wait? People will pay a lot of money when they go to theme parks to buy passes so that they can get around the lines and not have to wait to get on rides. We will do anything we can to avoid waiting. But here's the problem with the culture that we have today that teaches us the value of avoiding to wait. We also are a culture who has not learned the value of patience. And that is something that works to our detriment as we seek to follow God, because he understands the value of patience. Let's look at a couple of examples together. First, in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, listen to what Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, beginning in verse number 10, as he is talking to them about the characteristics that God expects to see in his followers. He writes, Be kindly affectionate to one another, with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. 
You see, one of the characteristics that God expects to see in his children is that we can be patient in difficult times. We can be patient in trying times, in times of tribulation. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse number 2, we're told there to walk worthy of the calling which we are called. And in order to do that, we must be humble and gentle and patient as we bear with one another. So one of the reasons that being patient is so important is because it trains us to interact with one another in a healthy way. It teaches us love. It teaches us forbearance. It teaches us the importance of persevering and being there with one another through difficult times. And if we don't learn patience, then love is going to suffer. If we don't learn patience, faith is going to suffer. If we don't learn patience, our ability to reflect God in our lives is going to be hindered. So no matter how difficult of a lesson it might be, it is nonetheless one of great value. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 4, the famous verse there that tells us that love is patient. Love is patient. You see, we have the perfect example of that in God. He has been so patient with his children. He has been so patient with his creation. He wants us to learn that as well. To look to the example that he has given us. To learn lessons that we see others having to learn, like Abraham and Sarah. And to recognize the great value in learning patience. Being willing to wait. One of the reasons that's so important outside of the love that we are to have with one another, the forbearance that we are to show one another, is that we are being called to be patient again as we wait for Jesus to return. We look around the world today and we see the evil and the wickedness and the the hatred that seems to just dominate our culture and our society today. And we just long for Jesus to return. We wonder how long is God allowed this to stand? And he is telling us to be patient. Just like I have to imagine there were times where Abraham and Sarah were like, why isn't this child coming? God told us that he was going to give us a son. Where is he? Why why hasn't he done this? Why hasn't he fulfilled his promise to us? I don't understand why he hasn't done this when he said he was going to do it. God was teaching them to be patient. And so as you and I look around us today, we endure the hardships that the world sends our way. We see the wickedness that seems to grow louder and louder every day. We patiently wait. As our faith grows, our love for one another grows, as we learn these valuable lessons, we wait patiently for Jesus to return. Just like Abraham and Sarah waited patiently for Isaac to be brought to them. It's a lesson that is timeless. It's a characteristic that if we call ourselves followers of God, 
that we must embrace, we must learn, and we must be willing to wait on it. There's going to be a total of four different points that are going to be up here on the screen behind me as we think about some of the lessons that we learn from this text. And the second one comes in this power of God that is being demonstrated here with, his birth, with the birth of Isaac. Again, when you think about the age of Abraham and Sarah, it's mentioned in the text that we had read that Sarah was well past the age of being able to bear children. That, that biologically speaking, she, she was not able any longer to bear children. And therefore, it seemed, from an earthly perspective, that this promise that God had made to them was not possible. Physically, biologically, this wasn't possible any longer. He had missed his window with Abraham and Sarah. But you see, when, when we're given stories like this, where God demonstrates his power, his power in this instance over biology, his power over the human body, it stimulates our faith. That's why we're given so many stories like this throughout Scripture, creation being the first of those, where God speaks all things into existence. But you can go throughout the pages of the Bible, and you could just rattle them off one after another, whether it's the parting of the Red Sea being one of those, where he demonstrates his power over nature as he parts the sea. He made the sun stand still in Joshua chapter 10, demonstrating his power over the universe in that instance as he makes the sun stand still for Joshua. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, demonstrating his power over life and death. Jesus was born of a virgin. All all of these stories, and again, many, many more that we could rattle off, demonstrate the amazing and mind-boggling power of God. And they are given to us, preserved for us by the Holy Spirit, so that we can read them and our faith can grow as a result of those things. They're not fairy tales. We do ourselves a disservice if we read them as such. These are historic events that have been preserved for us for thousands of years so that your faith can be stimulated as you read about the power of God. And this story of Isaac is one of those. We, on Wednesday night, talked about and sang together the song, My God is So Big. And yes, that is a a children's song that, that our kids love, and they love to sing, and they love to do the hand motions. But as Jeremy pointed out, as he was talking about that song, the the lessons and the application of that song are so important for us as grown-ups today to remind ourselves that God is so big and He is so powerful that there is nothing He cannot do. And our faith is emboldened by that reminder You know, and back in Genesis chapter 18, that was read for us just a moment ago, as Sarah laughs when hearing about this promise, or being reminded of this promise. In verse number 14, the Lord says to her, Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's not a question he was looking for an answer to. That was as much a statement as it was a question. 
Because he follows that up by saying, At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too big for him? It's a rhetorical question. But reminding ourselves of that question, putting ourselves in the shoes of Sarah and of Abraham at this point in their lives, it should embolden our faith. It should strengthen our faith. Because we serve a God who is not bound by the laws of physics. He is not bound by the laws of biology. He is the one who spoke them into existence. He gets to do whatever he wants to with them. That, that recognition, that reminder should change the way that we pray. Should change the way that we talk to God. Because there's nothing too big for him. You know, there, there may be times where you think, I mean, listen, I, <laughs> I, know, God, I know God's powerful, but, I mean, there's no coming back from this. There's nothing, nothing that could be done here. Well, if God chooses to do something about it, he'll do something about it. Because there's nothing that's too big for him. No matter how smart we may think that we have become as a human race, we pale in comparison to the power and the intelligence and the capabilities of God. So when we read these stories, let your faith be emboldened by Abraham and Sarah and God's demonstration of his power in bringing Isaac to this earth. The third thing that I want us to consider goes back to the age of Abraham and Sarah. I mentioned at the very outset that it's almost funny, it kind of becomes a little bit comical at how often Abraham and Sarah are called old. Time and time again, they, they're referred to as old people. They, they, are, they are past the, the childbearing stages of their life. Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. They're old people at this point in time. They were old people when God made the promises to them. And yet one of the things that I think we need to learn from this story is that God has a plan for you regardless of your age. Sometimes I, I think we can fall easily into the trap of, well, you know, I'm no longer, I'm no longer young and energetic. I don't, I don't have the, the youthful energy that I once had to be able to do this or that. Or maybe my voice has begun to fade a little bit. Or we can go the other direction and we can say, listen, I'm, I'm too young to be dealing with something like that. We'll let that next generation deal with that. I'll get to it eventually. We can start to discriminate based on our age and what God wants to see from us. But the reality is that regardless, young or old, God has a plan for us, and there are things that he wants and needs us to be doing in order for this body here at Trader's Point to thrive and to grow. And that's one of the lessons that we learn in Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as Paul uses this idea of a body of Christ— and how every joint and every piece of that body has to be working properly, working as intended for that body to grow and to thrive. That means whether you are young or whether you are like Abraham and Sarah, old, 
God has a plan for you. And he has something that you need to be doing. If he still puts breath in your lungs when you wake up in the morning, then God has work for you to do. We should read stories like this one and be reminded of that. Sarah was well past the age in which anyone would have thought that she could have children. My guess is there were probably some people that Abraham told about these promises that God made to him 25 years ago that had forgotten all about it at this point. Some of them, many of them probably had died themselves by now. But God preserved Abraham and Sarah to their old age because he had something he needed them to do. And they teach us a valuable lesson today. And so if, like they are described in Genesis 21 and verse 7, if you are considered old, I'll let you decide whether or not you fall into that category. But if you are considered old, God has a plan for you. If like Timothy or Titus, you are young, and I'll let you decide whether you fall into that category or not, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for all of us. And when we read stories like this, where where people are specifically called out because of their age, as we see the work they are doing and how God is working in their lives, we should take notice of that. Because that's intentional. God wants us to recognize their age. There are a lot of instances in Scripture where he doesn't tell us how old people are. He very clearly tells us how old Abraham and Sarah are throughout their story. He wants us to take notice of that and to be reminded of the fact that whether they were 75 years old, whether they're 100 years old, whether it's the young boy Isaac that we're going to talk about in a few weeks, God has a plan for you, and there is work that we need to be doing in his service. And then lastly, I'm going to ask you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. We've referenced this passage of scripture a couple of different times in our study of Abraham over the past couple of months, but specifically verse number 11 of Hebrews 11. And here Sarah is being discussed, and it says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age Because she judged him faithful, who had promised. So as we begin to close the lesson this morning, I want to ask you, do you, like Sarah, judge God to be faithful? Do you judge God to be faithful? That's an interesting phrase to use. But when you think of God, when you come to conclusions about God and about who he is, do you judge him to be faithful? Now, we've already talked a little bit about the fact that Abraham and Sarah struggled with their patience and struggled with their faith at times. But God, like he always does, fulfilled his promise to Abraham and to Sarah. Because God is faithful. He is faithful to fulfill the promises that he makes. And so the question that all of us need to ask ourselves and give an honest answer to is, do I judge God as faithful? 
Because if the answer to that question is yes, then that demands action on my part. Demands action on my part. Because, as I mentioned earlier, God has made promises to us. He has promised to once again return to earth and bring an end to all things. And he has promised that all of us will stand before him in judgment. Do you judge God to be faithful? Do you judge God to be faithful to those promises? Well, stories like the birth of Isaac and the entire life of Abraham and Sarah, along with many, many others throughout Scripture, should demonstrate to us that, yes, we serve a faithful God. When he says he is going to do something, he does it. Now, he's going to do it in his time, and he's going to demand patience on our part. But God is faithful. With that in mind, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's conclude with this text as we continue to ask ourselves this question. Do you judge God to be faithful? But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe, or let's just use the phrase from Hebrews 11, if we judge God faithful, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. You judge God to be faithful? Do you believe that he'll make good on the promise of once again returning and taking those who are faithful, taking those who have patiently waited on him, taking those who have given their lives to him, taking those who have been forgiven of the sins and taken on the righteousness of Christ like Greg talked about at the Lord's table this morning, do you believe that he will make good on his promise when he returns and to take us home with him to heaven? I hope we all judge God to be faithful. And I hope by judging God to be faithful, it will spur us to action. We'll read a passage like that, and we'll be convicted that I want to be, I want to be one of those faithful few that the Lord is going to take home to be with Him forever in heaven. And I believe the words that are written in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that this is going to happen one day. I judge God to be faithful to that promise. And it brings me, in the verse that we didn't read, the very end of that passage of Scripture, 
Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Judging God to be faithful to his promises should bring comfort to us. Because I can look forward to this day. I can patiently wait for his return. And I can read the stories of Abraham and Sarah and those like them throughout Scripture. And my faith can be emboldened and strengthened as I patiently wait for the day in which Jesus comes to take me home. I hope all of us here this morning judge God to be faithful. And I hope all of us take the steps necessary to be a child of His so that we can wait with eager anticipation for His return. But you see, void of the forgiveness that Jesus brought to this world, void of the relationship that God wants to have with all of us, judging God to be faithful is terrifying. Without the grace that Jesus brought into this world, judging God to be faithful to His promises should keep you awake at night. Because one day, God is faithful. One day, we will all stand before him in judgment. But that day can be eagerly anticipated if we're a child of his. So this morning, as you think about that, if you haven't become a child of God's, but you know what the scriptures teach, and you know that you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be united with God, that you can be a child of his, and look forward to the fulfillment of his promises, you have an opportunity to do that this morning. If you've done that, but you've fallen away, you've turned your back on God. Maybe you aren't being patient. Maybe you're wanting to do things in your own time. Thankfully, God is patient, and he waits on us to return to him. If we can help you do that in any way, please come to the front and let us know how as we stand and sing.